everybody. I'm Dale Sparaghi, love and relationship coach and host of this podcast, New Wave Relationships, about all things relationships, relationship to self, others more than other, couples, singles, breakups, and dating. What's new in relationships and how relationships are changing and evolving especially post-COVID, post-digital, post-MeToo, and sadly to say, post-no-Roe versus Wade. Hello, everybody. This is your co-host and producer, Sunny Hibbets. You can find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. For more updates on the show, please be sure to follow our Instagram and Facebook at New Wave Relationships Podcast. In ancient Greece, many philosophical thinkers such as Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle created categories for how we define love. Today, in the 21st century, we don't describe love this way. Instead, it is very typical to be in love or out of love, or we simply have love or simply don't. This episode is especially important in relation to Valentine's Day, where we visit our relationship to love as a society, observing love of ourselves and others. While we think modern society can make the word love too simple and even commodified, we will be discussing how the different types of Greek love can be a useful tool to our relational vocabulary, especially around this time of year. In the description below, we have provided a PDF glossary of the nine terms we discuss in this episode. Hello. Hello. Today, we're going to be doing an episode on the nine types of Greek love um, and relationships and how we think of them from the past and integrating them in the present. We're doing this for Valentine's Day. So today, Dale and I thought we would start off about um, doing a doing our morning check-in with um, how do you feel about Valentine's Day coming up? Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's a question. <laughs> totally. Well, my, my birthday is also coming up. So February is all is kind of like this month of a lot of can, like mixed emotions about everything, <laughs> about age and love and, you know, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, so there's some kind of, I don't know, sort of like ambiguous, sticky stuff floating around at the moment. I relate to that because it's my birthday month too. I'm February 6th. Um, and that's, it's so cool. We have similar birthdays. Um, and yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's like, there's always a big celebration in the middle of the month that I want to have like a party weekend. And then Valentine's day comes and it's like, do I have a partner or not this year? Which is it? And then I have to remember and then discuss like how you're going to celebrate it. And I think my, my partner and I, um, we have some parties we can go to, so we'll celebrate like that, but we don't actually really believe in it as like a special thing for us. And everybody's different about it. Um, especially because affordability is, is tough. It's hard to buy gifts and go on expensive dinners. Yeah. And that feels kind of where I'm at too. It feels like there's this pressure, this cultural pressure to, you know, be in love and to, um, you know, whatever the, the definition of having love in your life, a romantic relationship, right? Like we've kind of diverged into this 
very tiny box of what love is. And Valentine's Day almost validates that tiny little vision of what love is. Yeah, definitely. That's the whole thing is this one big love spell in our culture that we're we're always talking about it. But yeah, it does seem like Valentine's Day commodifies it and simplifies it when it actually feels like really hard sometimes. It doesn't feel like this kind of um, poppy pink and, you know, exciting thing all the time. Sometimes it's really hard. And I, I hear you on that where, you know, there's this just oversimplification of something that's, that's very complex in a way, you know? Yeah, I agree. It it feels like we're kind of, you know, picking one day and one time to, um, you know, appreciate each other and, and shower each other with love and, and expressions of love. And um, it just has this kind of shallow um, overtone to me, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. It does feel like an authentic thing. And I think that's why we kind of plan this episode for this time, because it's something I think Valentine's Day is something that, you know, it's not something is um, I, don't, I actually don't know who made Valentine's Day, but it is something no matter who made it, it is something that becomes a hallmark holiday, meaning it is commodified. It is more about businesses getting financial benefits than it is really about um, people like investing in love with each other. And the only time it is really about us as, you know, a culture investing time in each other is when we choose to make it that and like choose to use that day off if you get it to, um, you know, have fun with your partner. And it can be like a reminder, but it's still something that's outside of ourselves. When, you know, love is something from within, we really wanted to, in this episode, bring up these nine types of Greek love because these words can help us clarify, demystify, and uncommodify um, love, we think. Yeah, and, and I'm excited to hear about these nine kinds of love. And, you know, just I'll, I'll say one more thing about the, I think the Valentine's Day was originally um, a saint, Saint Valentine's, who is some sort of symbol of love. I don't know much about it, but what I do, what what I do remember is when I was a kid, it almost made love scary because there was something about you know like getting your Valentines in and having you know your signature on them and then getting those little candy hearts. That was like, how are you going to get as many as the other person? And what if I don't get the Valentine from the one, you know, it kind of made love like really like into this thing, like, you know, so I don't know, I I guess. Yeah. But I'm really excited to hear, to go deep, like to get out of this Hallmark thing and really go deep to bring us back to, yeah, what, what is love? Totally. And gosh, I totally forgot that Valentine's were a thing. Yeah, it was kind of like, are you going to get picked? (laughs) Which is always triggering, right? Are you going to get swiped on? (laughs) Are you going to make the cut Um, as like a a sixth grader? Um, So yeah, that that was a a tough thing as well. I I remember that. 
Um, but yeah, so let's get started. I, I totally agree. I'm excited to demystify these. So um, I did some research and the ancient Greeks had um, different terminology um, for love. And so to just clarify how this episode's going to go down, um, we're going to be going into etymology and epistemology of the ancient Greeks. So etymology is the study of the origin of words and their meaning. And then epistemology is more of the study of the knowledge, the theory, and the philosophy concerned with what we're talking about. So we're not going to be doing a history lesson on like, you know, who said what, because we're not a history podcast. Um, instead, we're going to be talking about more of these words that came through and, you know, stepping into the past a little bit and bringing those back, because I do think there is a lot of great knowledge in, you know, this pagan tradition back then and this philosophy um, history that we do have. And we have it in Freudian psychology. I mean, psychology, political science, the sciences, the body, um, astronomy. We have these great things from the Greeks. But it's so easy for us to let go of these really special um, terms and that our society is kind of ignored. Because as we know, like Valentine's Day is this commodified thing, at least I think so. And we don't use these words when we talk to each other, but they're really helpful. Um, so that's that. And, you know, I personally think that these terms um, consist on a spectrum, just to clarify I think that some of these words can, these these ways of feeling can coexist with each other and can balance each other in interesting ways. Um, so I just want to say that as well. They're not mutually exclusive. So just to sum up like the nine, we have Eros, Philia, Storge, Pragma, Ludus, Mania, Meraki, Fuadia, and agape. So to start, um, which I think Valentine's Day really shows off this one the most, is eros, which is sexual desire. And that is, you know, eros is the, um, you know, Cupid god being in Greek mythology that shoots an arrow at you. And then you got the Eros, the Eros curse, right? And you are not a curse necessarily, but you got, you are, you're under the Eros spell and you cannot keep your mind and your soul off this person. You're hooked on and it has a strong passion. It's overwhelming even. And that's where we get erotica. Um, and you know, that, that term. So it has to do with physical attraction and to make another differentiation, lust would be like more of an empty version of this where it's like just about like that physical, you know, attraction and kind of like taking that for yourself and being selfish where Eros is not something to be ashamed of. It's something, you know, to be embraced that you do have that desire for someone. And that's like a, a beautiful thing. And I think that's the one, and I don't know if you agree, Dale, but I think this is the one that's mistaken the most for like the big love. And that's where we get confused. Well, it, it sounds a little bit like you can't stop thinking about the person and, you know, there's a little obsession in that, which definitely feels like um, maybe a less healthier part of love. And, and yes, and in, you know, movies and romance novels and this kind of obsessive quality 
is brought out a lot. You know, like not being able to get this person off off your mind, um, continuously needing them around, you know, wanting to have connection with them. Yeah. And what you're actually talking about, that has to do with also another word later. So we're going to come back to more of like that mania side in the negative way. But this is also this is an OK mania. Right. You know, it's 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 good to have that. It's nice. It's that NRE which is the quick word for new relationship energy. Um, right. So that, that is good, but I do think like, yeah. In like Disney movies, for example, that's like the whole plot is just that part. There isn't the next word we're going to talk about more of this relationship building because we don't find that exciting. We find new relationship energy exciting. You know what I mean? Well, and it's definitely less work, right. And more fun because, right. Because what you're talking about, when you go deeper, there is much more, um, you know, vulnerability to dig up and it's work. You, you really, you've got to find each other in different, in different ways and different places. Totally. Right. Yeah. So next word to where this is kind of a timeline, but don't take my outline as a timeline. It can happen in different ways for everybody, um, you know, which is another cool thing to think about. Not everybody starts with arrows. Some people start with um, philia, which is soul connection, friendship, platonicness. Plato created the word platonic, which um, is about this soul spiritual connection based in trust, shared values. And, you know, this is family and close friends. And also romantic partners. So it's not as arousing as Eros and the NRE that comes with that. But some people say it's more fulfilling and rewarding. But yeah, it's not exclusive to friendships. Um, and Plato actually believed that the combination of Eros and Philia, so the two we're talking about, that soul friendship and that sexual desire is the highest form of love, a friendship between lovers. And this is kind of what we we go for a lot, right? We want people who align with our values and we also want that excitement. And also we find people who are friends first and then have Eros after, which is cool too. So, and this is, if you're curious more about this word specifically, you can go to the Nicomachean um, Ethics by Aristotle. But yeah, so this one, we we do know this one as well. Yeah, I love that, 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 you know, that's kind of what we strive for is this combination of, you know, this deep friendship and this chemistry. And again, you know, back to the reality of the work and the challenge that comes with a long, longer term commitment that comes with that kind of the staying power of love, not you know, the hookups or the, you know, and not, not to say, you know, there's no judgment, but just kind of um, differentiating. Yeah, there's a lot of meaning in, in philia that those, those friendships, those deep connections are so lovely. I mean, I love those myself. Um, and since we know a lot about this, I think, um, and it's pretty specific, we can move on to the next one that is a little different here. That is a cool kind of baseline that happens later from Philia that I think is really cool. And this is storage, which is devoted love, not storage, but storage. Funny word. I like it. Devoted love. So it's actually a variation of Philia that refers to love within a family. 
and really focuses on the devotion and care aspect. And it's more instinctual, biological, and physiological. Okay, so this is parent to child, where, you know, in these, you know, in the parent to child relationship, at least, there should kind of be these, you know, this no expectations related to love. Like you deserve love, you're my child, as well as this bringing security and comfort aspect. And that is different. It's a different type of soul connection that has to do with this instinctual um, family connection because we want to differentiate, I think, family love from right ro- romantic love and make it safer in a way because sometimes it's like what, you know, understanding like we we hug our family and when you have a word that can define like this is family love and this is what it means and it's a devotion to your family bonds and there's no expectations in that and this is a safe place and it's because we're connected instinctually that makes it i think a really safe thing and that's different from aphelia or an eros type of love as well yeah well it's interesting because i think um you know if we take that term and apply it to to lovers or to a romantic relationship there, there's kind of a general, um, I don't know, a, a general way of being it, lately that I see, which is this idea of no expectation. You know, like we're kind of going to just see how things go and don't expect too much of me and I won't expect too much of you and don't lean on me too much and right and and god forbid i should depend on someone or start to really rely on someone that feels dangerous i think um these days in in love to actually really and truly rely and depend on someone like a family in that way in that way yeah and i think where maybe people who are more into coaching and um, demystifying these relationship styles and relationship terminology and ways of dating. It's like we have the whole attachment theory model where it's like we don't, we will end up dating people who represent our parents' archetypes, yet we don't want to do that because that causes problems and we want to parent ourselves. So we don't want to rely on anybody in that way. And I agree when you do have like this attachment dance or any sort of family trauma it does kind of rupture the storage love it ruptures how we relate to it to our family and therefore how we relate to integrating a partner as like you know a partner in family does that make sense yeah and that's such a great point that you know that this that the idea of trauma is you know where that kind of comes from because it's it is really about this protection of, you know, I can't get too close. I can't get, I can't depend on anybody because they're not going to stay. They're not going to be there for me. And, and trauma is so prevalent, really, like in, you know, on the spectrum, like everyone's had some form of, from disappointment to, you know, big time, huge trauma. I think in, and now we're, we're, you and I are getting into our creative brain. Yeah, so good. Um, I think that may, you know, there can be trauma in each type of these terminologies. 
you can have Eros trauma where like you've hit on somebody before in Eros and embarrass yourself. And now it's terrifying to hit on somebody. And then you can have soul connection trauma. You lost a best friend. It's scary to have best friends. You can have storage trauma. And I think that's like a family relation and this can get really complicated. And so we won't go too deep into it and we'll keep moving on. But, um, it is like, I, I, some, I so wish I was there for these Greek conversations like with the wine, with the with the guys and the girls and everybody hanging out and having these conversations, um, because it is so cool to to break these apart. Um, anyway, keep going. Um, so next we have pragma, which this is um, different from storage, philia, and eros. Right, this is you know less of that instinctual family kind of expected love and going into a a love that has pragmatically matured. So this is where relationships really work long-term, but they don't necessarily have that Eros NRE new relationship energy love anymore. Um, they, they do sometimes and you can bring it back up, but this is where love gets based on pragmatics. So the duty, the reason, and those shared goals. And so it's different from philia because philia is more like we love and enjoy these shared things together. But this is different in the pragmatics and the duty of why we're doing this long term thing. So this is where that selflessness comes from. That's similar to storage, but it's different. This is your choosing this. I choose to do this selfless um, experience of life with you. Um, this is like a marriage material and effort, dedication and putting the work in in growing and maturing in this love together. So this is where we choose to um, align on career choices. Okay, you're moving in this place, I'm going with you. Or, you know, you, and I think the term sacrifices might get a little complicated because what is a sacrifice in love? Man, I hope if people make sacrifices in love, they talk about them and, you know, don't do them quietly. Like if we're doing an act for someone, let's talk about it so we don't get resentful. But yeah, this is still like some kinds of sacrificing and um, doing tasks to maintain harmony and joy. Um, so I don't know if you have any words on what you think of that one, Dale. Well, it feels like a deeper place in a relationship. Um, yeah, and and it, oddly enough, it you know I've been with my love for you know it's been about a year and a half. And it feels like we could be moving into that area, and it's bringing up a lot. Also, it's 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 sort of a transition. I think all of these are like thresholding transitions too. And right, some can happen at the same time, and some can leave at the same time. Some can happen and not happen. So I think it's like I said at the beginning, like. These are all like spectrum and feeling into and experiential. And yeah, I think the pragmatics can have, you know, I, I've had this love as well. I'm not currently, um, I don't think I'm at this stage of love in, in my relationship yet. I think I'm still like Erosphilia and some other ones here. Um, but I do think that there is sometimes a drop. It's almost like this drop you can feel of like stepping into this that I think also from our society of Valentine's Day and how we see love in these movies, they make the arrows the pinnacle to where when it comes to this really good stuff you get in mature love, where the arrows is still even there, 
we just kick ourselves down. We think it's over. We, um, you know, simplify our experience and make it to where it's like, it's, you know, it's not exciting anymore. And I got to break up with this person. A lot of people hit this stage and they just break up because there's this unsettling feeling of like, you know, losing arrows a bit and stepping into this growth state that has a really amazing things where like, this is when you can like travel, you can settle, you can invest in things and you can invest in reinventing these, these Eros experiences that make it really fun too. Well, and this is where the safety really comes in so that you can, you know, the two of you can actually have the, the relationship as a launching pad. I mean, if, if, if the couple can make it through, then it really can create incredible possibilities, um, both as a couple and for the individuals to have this sense of stability and safety to really fly, you know, to really take off. Yeah, no, totally. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so now we have where now we're getting into more of the unique types of love. Those other ones that we just went through, the aerosphilia storage and pragma, those ones are pretty familiar with in our culture. Um, but I want to go into more of the interesting ones here. So now we'll go into the ludus love, which is this is playful love, right? It's kind of unique here. Um, I love this type of love. This is one of my favorites. Uh, this is carefree, playful and it's more opposing to the cerebralness and responsible terms like pragma and stuff like that. And this can also include, right, hedonism, um, sexuality, casual fun, living in the moment, teasing, seduction, casual sex, and also kink where, you know, you're building like an art form of your sexual experience. And what's interesting here is in our culture, right, playful love, you know, to, no offense to Christianity here, but there is this suppression of the playful love in our culture, I think. And there's like the celibacy wanted. And it's like, if you do that, you know, keep that to yourself, like keep that at home. And, you know, that can give this like a bad taste to it. But this is actually where a lot of Eros is kept alive and a lot of energy is maintained. And um, there's ways to do this also like platonically in playful love that isn't sexual too. And this is like, so this can be sexual. It can also be like how you play, like, you know, playing games together, um, sports together, vacations, things like that. So it's it's pretty broad, but this can be seen as empty love being shallow and selfish if done without respect and mutual joy and mutual consent. That is the highlight of like this playful love. Ludus is really beautiful for the growth, the maintaining of energy, creativity. But if you, if you, if it's just for you, that's not, that's empty and that's not fulfilling. It feels like a perfect um, kind of antidote to the pragma love, you know, like falling into a place where, you know, you feel like you've reached some sort of plateau and bringing back the playful element feels like just so right. And, and often that, you know, that is the solution to couples that are feeling, you know, like they're like things are, you know, changing or shifting and what can we do to bring back that connection to, to feel that again, 
And the playful, I love this, the ludus. Yeah, that's it. And as adults, we are like, we don't play anymore, <laughs> you know? And right, I don't, you might have more words on that than I do, but like, when do, you know, our parents or our, you know, kind of older folks who are engaged in long-term relationships or short-term you know, go and do acro yoga in the park or like go and like do these events together. Like usually it's dinner and like that is like a, a way that we as a culture, I think, love to date and love to have fun. But the activities is really important too. And, you know, whether that is sexual or non-sexual. I totally agree that the, that play really is, is, you know, kind of removed from the adult culture. And that's why it does sometimes get selfish or um it's removed from something that's wholesome and healthy and um alive and and beautiful yeah this is another thing that i was reading about this one is that ludus can also compromise like non-sexual activities too i see it as both non-sexual and sexual just to modernize in a bit but yeah i guess what we are talking about too is is are we playing together or are we playing alone? So I think the respect and mutual joy here is how we know is our play in good nature or not. So if we are being consensual and respectful about like how we're playing, then like play all the time. It's great. And yeah, I love what you said about the antidote to um, pragma. I think that's really important. So now we're moving into mania and this is a really unique one. I have um, a couple more after this, but this one is its own thing. So this is obsessive love. This can be combined with kind of the hedonistic sexual energy of Eros and Ludus and not having pragmophilia. So not that mutual respect or storage we talked about, um, not, you know, consent here. This is where, um, I mean, it can be like consensual if like you're keeping that to yourself. Um, but Mania often shows through anxiety, hyperfixation, addiction, obsession, emotional instability, jealousy, and possessiveness. And this is where codependency starts to come in um, at times. And it's normal for short periods of time to have this mania. And that's where it's more like Eros. But if you get kind of like a little crazy in your head and you get kind of cycly, that is the mania love and that can pass, right? That is normal for us more, um, you know, people with attachment trauma issues, right? That that does happen where we can be like, did I say the wrong thing? Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, are they going to leave me? I, I, I haven't even got to really be with them. Dang it. Um, so, but you know, where it can get bad is actually where we have like stalking and violence. So there is like, it, it's normal, but you, you know, don't stalk them. That's all I'm going to say. Don't stalk them. And I don't know if you have any words on that too. Well, yeah. And, you know, I think the extreme of this kind of love is, um, you know, love addiction, which which is actually quite, you know, it's pretty serious and pretty extreme and can um, get really toxic and really take people out. So um, it's just knowing that, you know, is this kind of a passing phase or is this something that, you know, I'm continuing to be in? it could mean that, you know, you may need to reach out for help if that's what's going on. And I think what you're saying too, is that like, this can be like 
a pattern, that's when you want to get help. Talk to a therapist, a love coach like Dale, or, um, you know, friends that like know you at your core, like your good friends are going to know when like you're in a unhealthy cycle, usually, unless they don't know that work either themselves. So a professional will be really good for when this is a pattern and when this actually is like painful. Um, if you're like going through anxiety attacks, like constantly with your partner, there is something happening there, right? Like love where we have worked on the healthiness, like anxiety does happen, but anxiety attacks all the time. Something is happening in your body that wants some attention and is trying to talk to you. So any form of that mania is gets tough and yeah, a little bit's okay, but not all the time. And moving on um, from that one, we have a pretty simple one, and this is more modern Greek. This is Meraki, and that is related to creative endeavors. So love, creativity, devotion to something you're doing, the arts, singing, dancing, um, yoga, and painting, cooking. So this is really more of the self area, and because there is a devotion and love in the things that we do or the art that we see and I think it's good to remember that we have that in our bodies. We can tap into our own Meraki, our creative endeavors, and we can make something. We don't need to be in the creative endeavors of somebody else. We have our own creativity that we can tap into. Yeah. And 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 this is a beautiful form of love. You know, what couples can do together to design and create um, that that fun and and play and creativity in their life. Yeah, it's it's feels like a very um sweet, lovely kind of love. It seems exciting too because doing like making an art form or a model or like a way of life or a, an experience whether it's like by yourself or with a partner. It's just always so enriching and I find this experience for me to be probably one of the more healing, if it's with myself, one of the most healing things when I'm codependent. So if I'm codependent and I'm kind of enacting and enmeshment and um, really just lost in the anxieties of someone else that I love, if I pause and go into this area of my own creativity, the grounding healing there is probably the most healing and the most fulfilling, even though it's not as enticing as other ways of getting through that. But it is like the most fulfilling for me and most meaningful. Yeah. So what you're saying is it kind of brings you back to yourself because there's a part of yourself that you're giving away when you're codependent. So when you can reclaim that and you're saying that being creative does that for you because it grounds you, it creates these kind of natural boundaries because you're you're pulling all your energy back to yourself and absorbed with you rather than your partner or whoever you're obsessing and being codependent with. Yeah, that I love that. Thanks. Yeah. I that's exactly what I meant. Thanks for saying that. Um we have two more left. And this goes kind of what we're talking about here goes right into um fuadia, which is self-love. So this is where I think the the creativity, the Meraki gains its energy is from the act of fluadia, uh, self-love. So um, uh, Aristotle actually believed that 
Fluadia was a prerequisite to loving others. And that's his belief. Um, I, th- I think that the idea of like, we must fully love ourselves before we love someone else is a debatable argument that is really difficult. And we put too much pressure on ourselves to, if I do this, I will get that. And that way of thinking in love doesn't really work for me. I need to think kind of complexly and creatively with like how much I love myself and then loving other people. But yeah, it it does, you know, there is some reflection in like our love for ourselves with our partners, I think, but it's not this or that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, being with a loving partner adds to our self-love. And, and, and that is something that, you know, goes on, you know, there's no cap on self-love, right? It's not a linear thing. It really, it, you know, it, it goes around, it comes around. Um, you know, some people wait forever till they love themselves and, and never, you know, have a loving relationship. So um, yeah, I hear what you're saying that that is debatable. And, and there is a lot of rhetoric, I think, going on around this you know, you must love yourself in order to love someone else. And, um, and, and I'm not sure I completely agree with all of that either. I think people want that, right? It's almost like people want that really hard thing to be true, because then they can get that thing, right? They can get a partner, instead of kind of discovering them, and feeling into to that process. It's like, if I do A, B, and C, then I will get what I want. And I think that kind of deletes our whole experience with discovering who that person is and how that feels. So um, yeah, I, I hear you on that. Yeah, you know, we don't want love to become formulaic or, you know, like this is like an instruction manual on how to get love, right? On how to get, you know, the one. So um, it's a journey, right? It is, it's a journey. It's, you know, a path. Um, and it's changing and growing all the time. It's fluid. Mm-hmm. Right. Hear that. Um, our last one, and this is the most meaningful one for me, um, is agape. And this is unconditional godly love. So agape is love that is not dependent on any external factors. It cre- It's creating charity and altruism. Um, this can be seen as a love for God or the divine, and it is the least selfish form of love that is here. And it does not require anything in return. And it can result in, right, the benefits of, um, you know, being in well-being and really increasing self-love. So this is probably the most pinnacle love that Eros tries to mask that it is but this is something that at least in my experience can happen in a night and it can happen in a couple months meaning that sometimes i'm talking to a person a friend an acquaintance and they tell me a story and i connect with them in a way that i feel like wow i love this soul and i don't know anything about them so they're not my friend they're not my family I don't feel necessarily manic about them and I'm not doing any art with them. I don't even know them, but I have this, this connection in, wow, I love that, that you exist. And if I could give you the world, I would, but I see in you that there's infinity. And 
I don't want anything from you in that. I just, if I can experience you, I, I want to, I want to be around you because that feels a reflection of like me also then feeling my, my infinity. Cause when I see someone else's infinity for some reason, I'm not thinking of me, I'm thinking of them, but it's this divine thing that we're both in, we're both feeling, we're both a part of that feels so fulfilling. And that's I, for me, the spirit, the spirit, I'm feeling your spirit. I'm seeing your spirit. Yeah, absolutely. It's it feels like, you know, the tantric tradition or becoming the divine through, you know, human connection, being, you know, part being inside love through and with the divine. It's it's a lot of what Patricia Albert talks about in her evolutionary collective and her relationship with Peter and how she started that mutual awakening practice. So it's something that we all have access to all the time. And yes, and it is of the spiritual divine essence being of that. And I think it's important to demystify this one a little bit, because sometimes with talking about something so powerful, and so godly, if someone hasn't felt that, you know, it, I think that this is something that is in there for everyone. I really do. And if it's not within someone else, it's definitely within yourself. But I do think that there are ways we can discover this within someone else and with ourselves. So it is something I think that people, and this is my opinion, you know, I, I don't expect people to share this. Um, we all inherently have a spiritual essence to us. And so I think that if it can be something that we we can feel into in ourselves or other people. And if you don't relate to that, this might be more of being curious in the human experience, whatever this is that we're feeling. I don't know. I feel like sometimes I just have this mystical love for people and I find it very interesting. So I think that there's spirit in there in that way. That's a deep thing to philosophical thing to discuss, but yeah. And it, and it also is a little bit like the, um, I forgot the name of it, the family love. So there's a quality of selflessness. There's a quality of, of egolessness that when you, when you're able to let go of that, that's when you can kind of move into this place of, of more oneness, right? Because the ego takes us away from that, you know, cause we're, you know, we're about being independent and autonomous and, you know, our own person. And, and that's good. I mean, that's healthy. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that there's that the ego is bad, but I'm saying that, that this kind of love feels like it's being of service and, and out and not so much of service to self, but to, to other. Definitely. Yeah, I hear that. I think we're going to take a pause and when we're back. We're going to talk a little bit more about our experiences and more of some story and finishing up on these terms. We'll be right back. from that quick break 
And we wanted to kind of sum up what we were talking about. And I might start us off with my story, if that feels helpful. Um, the reason why we actually did this episode is because I, so I learned about these words from my current partner. He already knew about these words, but I kind of also got some help from my aunt about these words because my partner and I went to a festival together and it was, we were at the point in our relationship where I was really starting to love him. And I would just say it in my head quietly to myself when he would leave and like walk away. And like, sometimes we'd be like on the phone, like with some silence at the end and be like, okay, bye. Um, and just having these moments where like, I'm like, I wonder if he feels that I love him right now. And just like in my silence, like, is he going to say it first? And I kind of told myself for a while, I'm only going to say it if he says it first, because I just was like very nervous about losing him and stuff, especially because he's discussed moving a lot. And that is something we're still kind of working with and figuring out. Um, and he, he still wants to move somewhere. He's kind of figuring out um, where he wants to go. And I totally support that. And I love him and I support him leaving. And that was the highlight for me about the love that I have for him. And when I was thinking of how to tell him, I was just like constantly like sounding really bad. Like I said one time to him, I have, I think the world of you. <laughs> and he said something like, um, he said that makes me feel scared. And that didn't like hurt me. I was scared too, but that was because I wasn't like fully saying it, right? Like it's worse when you don't fully say how you feel. You're just kind of like, I kind of feel it. Like you gotta, when you really want to have that connection and clarity and full conversation, you got to say all your words. So, um, I decided after our festival trip together that I was going to tell him and I had a long conversation with my aunt and I figured out what word of love it was for him. It, you know, cause I was like, is it in love? Is it love? Like, what is it? Look this stuff up and it's agape. So it's the last love we talked about. It was unconditional love for me. And I knew it was unconditional because I still wanted him to move. I don't want him to change his life for me. I want him to follow his heart. I want him to go on his path, even though it's, you know, now it's hard. Like it's, I still get feelings about it. And so does he, frankly, but we both still know we have our paths and we chose to have this relationship, not to necessarily feel comfortable in stagnation, but to have an edge of growth, even though that's really tough. So that means that I had this kind of godly love for him. And when I'm told him that, um, you know, it was really comforting to him in the clarity I had in the conversation. And now we say, I love you all the time. And like, we really understand that, but it was so helpful for me as like an anxious attached person and someone who gets really scared of saying that to know exactly what kind it was so that I felt like I had my words together and it didn't scare him of like this big in love thing. Like I want to keep you for the rest of my life. You know, so I just wanted to share that because it, it really helped me in that experience. Yeah, that is, that's a, a beautiful example of um, that, that that agape love. It, it is. It's beautiful. It's, your story is very touching and inspiring. And it feels um, like you do have to have a lot of growth to be able to do that, to let go 
you know, you're saying that love is really letting go of the other. And like, you know, the Buddhists would say, like this non-attached kind of love. Yeah. And and that kind of love is like it's not located anywhere, right? It's it's like where is love? Where is relationship? You know, it, it's it's kind of a non-local experience. You know, when your partner goes away, do you do you feel less attraction, less of a connection? No, right? So so it is that that um, that spirit that kind of um all pervasive uh, omnipotent sort of love right which is which is really you know here already there's nothing to to get to go get or grasp onto or um make yourself do or change to have it's 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 our birthright it's the kind of love that is our birthright. Yeah. I hear that. And I think that it is, I do agree. It, it's definitely a birthright and it's just learning how to like have the experiences and have the language to where we feel safe stepping into that. And I think terms like this can help us feel a lot safer in that way where, you know, if we do the work, put in the time, we can break down what love is in our society and decommodify it, degeneralize it and bring it to more of an art form. And we can use words and language in a good way to explaining clarity how we truly feel authentically we don't have to half say it we don't have to hide it feels safe sometimes but we can express ourselves in a way where you know we can be understood and if someone's not understanding you that might not be for you right well and i think it also comes back to understanding yourself you know like knowing who you are what your needs are and what you want. So I love these deep examples of love, you know, taking us to a place where our culture has kind of moved away from to go back to, to, to explore, you know, and, and, and maybe there's different needs at different times in your life or even on different days, you know, like one day could be an Eros day and the next an agape, right? <laughs> But but it's having some kind of framework and having a resource for the depth of love, getting back to that place. Yeah, and I think, you know, for something like Valentine's Day, since our culture does, like, take it away from depth, that I find, if we can override how we feel about it, it can be a day for yourself to, you know, have depth with yourself. It can be an opportunity as a day or a time of the year. It doesn't have to be that day. But in general, let's use the opportunities and the resources we have to create depth in our life. And, you know, it if on Valentine's Day you have a partner and you don't know what to do, you can talk about some of these words and bring up, you know, where 
some of this is happening or where some of it you want more of or where you want to balance things out with this. I do recommend like people taking a look at these because they do bring the depth back in a time where we are losing depth, we're losing art, and we need to constantly bring more connection into the world that we're in. Yeah, and just to, you know, wrap this all up from from Sunny and and myself, you know, we just want to wish all of you a happy Valentine's Day and that you feel loved that day and every day. Yes, I, I totally agree. Happy Valentine's Day. I love you. And we hope to catch you soon on more episodes of New Wave Relationships. Thanks, Dale. Thank you, Sunny. If you would like to join the conversation, please email Dale and I questions at sunny.nwrpodcast at gmail.com relating to anything dating and relationships. Please tune in with us every time we upload for more integrative conversations relating to the self and other. If you are interested in Dale Sparagi's relationship coaching, please email her at dale at creativecorecoaching.com for private coaching sessions. Don't forget to follow our Instagram and Facebook at New Wave Relationships Podcast.